Hello friends, welcome back to Imago Gay, a play on the term Imago Dei, which means in the image of God, because as humans, no matter who you are, we are all entitled to dignity, autonomy, and self-determination. I think this has been a sad week for many women. I know I have spent the weekend feeling very emotional, often in tears. As a good friend of mine often says, one grief touches all others. In a post-Roe v. Wade world, I feel alarmed. I do, for my current and future liberties. For many of us, Handmaid's Tale was supposed to be a fiction, not a documentary, right? It it captured the subconscious fear of women, the fear of a now-empowered pseudo-theocracy class, people who try to impose upon our current culture a worldview on women that existed long ago and is fueled by religious belief. For those of you who may or may not know, I have my master's degree in divinity, and I went to school to essentially be a pastor. I am out and proud, and because of that, I have been disavowed by my former denomination. So this is scary to me on multiple levels, because I think in the past I have found so much comfort knowing that the prejudices that my church held towards me were not held in the world where I work and where I live. I'm protected as a woman, as a person of color, as a member of the LGBTQ community. I have a right to full equality in my society. There are laws that protect me against discrimination. And this made me feel safe to exist in ways I did not feel safe to exist in my church. So this is particularly scary for me because when I see the secular world, the one which I found some modicum of safety in, take on the worldviews of the church and then impose them legislatively, it's a scary place because I know what that community can do. And giving them legislative power now, I know is going to affect the lives of so many women who already have a tough time getting access to reproductive health care. The issue of Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with whether if you hypothetically were a woman and got pregnant and what you individually would do under a myriad of circumstances. I find it hard for anyone to imagine the unique factors that lead a woman to say, I cannot raise this child. Roe v. Wade was about a woman's right to self-determination, the right to not be chattel, property to someone else, incubating someone else's child against her will. It's about autonomy and the ability to consent to childbirth. But when I think about the gospel, I think about what it means to build a better future, to think more critically about those who have been historically marginalized, and to create a world that begins to build a more equitable future across gender, sexuality, and race. Oftentimes, Jesus could be seen pushing back against men who are overreaching in their power. When Mary washes the feet of Jesus, the people in that room ascribe to her very demeaning motives. They saw her open display of affection and the letting down of her hair and believe her to be an impious woman worthy of rebuke. And to this, Jesus says plainly and simply, quote, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? 
when women were stripped from their houses and put on display for the men of the town, condemned as a whore, as an adulteress. Jesus wrote all of their sins in the sand, until one by one, these men were reminded of their own imperfections and walked away. At this time, Jesus said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Are there none left to condemn you? This version of Jesus that is critical to my worldview is a protector of the marginalized. And yet for some reason, this version of Jesus is often overshadowed by human prejudices. In the same room as Mary, there was Judas. In the same room as the adulteress, the man with whom she was caught in adultery was not present. These women were singled out, and if it were not for the intervention of Jesus, whom these men respected, they would have been stoned, killed, socially ostracized. I take this version of Jesus as my model, to use my power where I can to break down prejudices one by one, so that every person can get the benefit of the doubt, as well as be seen as someone worthy of the right to self-determination and equality in the sight of the law, as well as in the sight of her fellow human being. Hello, friends. Welcome back to Amago Gay. By the time you're listening to this, Pride Month will be over, but not over for us because every week is a celebration of LGBTQ lives. And today I have chaplain and spiritual care provider, Roxanne Del Valle. Yes, I have been upgraded from guest to co-host. All right. How frequent I am on the podcast. Frequent flyer. (laughs) (laughs) So something I want to talk about today, very interesting. For those of you who may or may not be in the know, there is a convention of pastors that happens yearly in the Adventist church, and it's called the Called Convention. And I was recently informed that the sponsor for this podcast, Spectrum, had its booth removed because of its affiliation to this podcast and in particular to me. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Sounds so juicy. I'm going to read part of this article. I put a statement in for it. I know. You have been dreading reading it. I've been dreading reading this article because, you know, I think the question that was asked to me was like, how do you feel being canceled twice by the church. Mm. And I was like, such a compliment. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Stop Uh, being so flattering. No. Oh, I don't know. That makes me sad because I, I, it just goes to show that the attitude behind it really is excommunication. I would say the attitude behind it. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. What's the impact on you? How does that make you feel? I think, you know, when I first got asked this question, my initial reaction is like, I don't care. (laughs) I wasn't planning on spending my earned time off at this convention. Like, if I have earned time off, I'm going to the Bahamas and going someplace else. (laughs) But I feel like I'm trying to move away from this being like, well, I don't care. Like, I'm, I'm moving on with my life, getting into a place of financial stability and career-wise and like attaining goals that are personally important to me. But I think, you know, you've talked to me often about, you can't just say, I don't care. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's not really true, right? I think Mm -hmm. I don't care is a defense mechanism. It's a 
way to say, I don't want to think about this right now. Mm-hmm. I'm not in the space where I want to put myself in that position to really dwell on this. I would rather be thinking about other things. But when I do sit and think about it and I say, okay, well, let me tap into like, how do I actually feel about this in this moment if I were to have to put it into words? I think the first reaction for me is anger. You know, like, how dare you? You know, this is this is outside of the scope of what acting like a church is supposed to be and do. And then secondarily, after that anger has subsided, I think there's sadness at the, at behind that, right? I think anger is sometimes a shield, a defense mechanism. An actual pro- secondary emotion to, to protect primary yeah. sadness. Yeah. Well, I think, I think my anger is real. Right. Um, but I also think, and it's right in its moment, but when that subsides or st- stands secondary in the background, it allows for other emotions to come to the forefront that might not be as powerful or as visceral. And I think sadness for me is a very delicate space. And I think that that comes up as well. So this is the first time we're both reading yeah. this article published on June 17th. Very early in 2022, Spectrum received word that its application to the booth at the North American Division called Convention was approved. Several months after Spectrum's booth's approval, a sense of growing agita began to leak out. This initiated several amicable Spectrum NAD conversations aimed at better understanding. In this report, I'm going to leave out the names of NAD employees who dialogued and back-channeled throughout this process because ultimately there is one responsible party. After a period of silence from the NAD, less than a month before called, Spectrum received an email from the NAD that stated, We pray daily over the thousands of pastors that are gathering at the called convention next month. This is an essential theological grounding for the sacred calling on pastors and their communities. The intentional and deliberate decisions that cover their experience from the moment they arrive through to our close on Wednesday, June 23rd, have weighed heavy on the entire team. It is with this in mind that we have had to decline several exhibitors to provide a healing neutral space for our pastors. Healing neutral space. It says, while plenty of orgs were never accepted, Spectrum was the only org to be accepted, but then months later declined. Despite its lack of specific theological or policy violations, the NID seemed to not want Spectrum around, but the passive language plus the patronizing explanation to exclude Spectrum in order to create a healing neutral space initiated a wave of, what are you thinking, conversations with NAD folks. For a while, the decision seemed tabled. There was a sense of limbo and even hope by some close to the NAD. After several months of this ambiguity, earlier this week, less than seven days before called, Spectrum received final word from the top. Regrettably, under the current circumstances, I need to let you know that the NAD is reaffirming the decision not to have Spectrum provide an exhibit at the pastor's convention next week. <laughs> the bottom line is that the NAD president doesn't like Spectrum's podcast. I noted we have two, Adventist Voices and Imago Gay. What drives this is the kind of fear that hyperfocuses a person on the 1% of difference rather than the 99% of community agreement. The fundamental reason why Spectrum was in limbo and then rejected after being accepted is that we're halfway through a year-long partnership with SDA Kinship to co-produce the Imago Gay podcast with Kendra R. Snow. 
As previously reported, shortly before completing her MDiv at the Seventh-day Adventist Theological Seminary, Kendra came out as bisexual on her widely praised Advent Next podcast. That resulted in the NAD firing her from the contract media job. More than one NAD person told me that it was not just the focus on human sexuality that contributed to the NAD's decision to boot Spectrum. It was also Kendra. For the record, she's great to work with and very devoted to the church and her current hospital-based work. I also heard from more than one NAD person that, seeing her talents, they themselves had hoped to hire her until her identity made that seemingly impossible. I asked Kendra what it's like being canceled twice by the NAD. With a laugh, she replied, First, it's an honor. It means someone out there is scared I have a voice, and I'm speaking freely for those who have historically been silenced. Secondly, I'm not even sure you can call it being canceled. At this point, cancel culture is a tool for the disempowered. It is an avenue for the populace to use their personal platforms to hold people in power accountable for their abuses. However, when people who hold power in the Adventist church try to ostracize, punish, and intimidate LGBTQ people, it's just plain old unoriginal abuse. I mean, we can just, we can stop there, really. And, and here's a point that I really want to expand on, because... I was in an interview recently with somebody in the church who was looking to hire me for a position as a chaplain in one of their hospitals. And, you know, it came up, and I wasn't specific about my sexuality because it didn't feel safe enough, but he was like, well, that's the reason why I've stayed in the church, because if you stay in the church, then you can make a difference. And just reading this last statement, but marginalizing the messengers working inside the denomination only leads to faith-damaging explosions. You know, and I think that for a long time I negotiated within myself, like, if I stick around and work within the church, work within the system, and talk to the people, I'll have a bigger influence. And what ended up happening is just feeling incredibly isolated, demoralized, and really forced into the box that I held for so long. And so it's like you want to make it work because you want to have an impact on the people around you, but it's just not hospitable. There's no way to survive without compromising yourself in the process. And I just don't think that's a healthy model for anybody who is dealing with LGBTQ issues within the church to stay in it and try to make some positive change because you're under that umbrella of shame the whole time. You know, it's like you need to find yourself. You need to have community. You need to have love surrounding you. You need, you need to take care of your spirit and you just can't be fruitful in a space that's determined to fix you. If I didn't have the community of support that I have now, can you imagine having to deal with this like alone and then thinking to myself, maybe I am that bad that even people who are associated with me are now being kicked to the margins. And I think there's a lot of like a a lot of PTSD (laughs) that I'm dealing with from my own fundamentalistic relationships in the past some of the trigger, like some of the, the, the internal narratives that would spark when you were... Oh, I could easily have been living in my car again. I was out of a job for almost six months. And like, I would have been living in my car. 
And I'm thinking if I were alone, you know, if all my support was just, if everyone believed as these administrators believed, it would really be a tempting space to conform just for the sake of survival. And when I think about people who are on the fringes of Adventism financially, pastors get paid, very underpaid workers in the church, and that their paycheck is connected to a theological conformity. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's not contextualized. That's not exactly. sensitive to. Yeah. And the thing is, when people of power or people in positions of authority have those kinds of attitudes, they model it for lay people. It, they do. And so to think that these actions are separate from the actions of the lay people that surround you, that on some level they're not impacted by their leader's disapproval and alienation of you, that they have no impact on how people on the church, in your personal level, how your friends see you. You know, we were watching a documentary recently on, like, false confessions. And one thing I think about in this scenario is, like, how if I were to be alone going through this, how I would literally question myself in the sense of, "Am am I really that bad of a person? You know, like, what do they see in me that I'm not seeing? How do I rid myself of the things that make me a pariah? And to literally start giving false confessions in order to obtain that conformity, in order to be back in approval, in order to oh, yeah. have... I am this watch. terrible person. Yep. I am sinful. And now I I'm am. repenting. <laughs> yeah. Right? The, con- the, the guilt confession. Um, but it's really not a result of actual guilt or remorse. It's the result of... Social isolation. Grief. Yeah. To not conflate the two, guilt and grief are two different. And you might, out of grief, conform or confess and and reintegrate, but that won't help your situation anymore. It's just right making the grief masked. And not to say that I'm tempted to do that or that I think that I would. I think even in my previous relationship, like being alone, I still made the decision to leave, mm-hmm. and I could see the toxic beast for what it was. Um, but I, there, there is this sense of like, I can see how someone could be easily gaslit. I want to bring up something that was really helpful to me. Jo- just taking a look at a few cognitive distortions is what it's called. People who do all or nothing thinking. And basically these are just unhelpful thinking styles. Right. So processing information through these cognitive distortions is not helpful because it does exactly that. It distorts the reality. It's a faulty, inaccurate way of looking at the world. Exactly. So black and white thinking, excluding nuance and complexity, not being able to hold the both and. This is not, this is not relativism or subjectivism. <laughs> when you think you have ultimate truth, you do fall into this kind of white and black thinking. Like this is good or bad. And you can have access to ultimate truth and still hold complexity. Overgeneralizing, I think, again, you know, lumping all the LGBTQ community into this one big lump of whatever generalizations they've made about the community. Mental filter or mentally filtering, only paying attention to certain types of evidence and not noticing failures, but only successes is an example. Right. So I, when you're paying attention to someone 
or listening to what they have to say. And you're only filtering in all the points that you can contest, right? right? Or you're only filtering in, if you're, if you're really like this person, only the things that contribute to this notion, then you're not seeing, again, the complexity of it, the, right. the full range and spectrum of what the person has to offer. I'm thinking of right now is like a documentary we recently watched about uh, someone who was convicted of a murder that they didn't do. And there's a lot of evidence to the contrary, but I think there is a predisposition to want to yes. make this person the murderer yeah. to the point that they begin planting evidence to, to like make sure that the evidence points to this person rather than actually looking for the real evidence. And I think when you're looking with those filters of like, when you make LGBTQ like this thing of like, that person is now bad, you begin to see things in that person or what they say that's not really there, but you mm. have to make it evil in order to make your narrative fit for you. I know. Like we talked about in our last podcast, all the types of forces that are taking families apart it's, it's not LGBTQ marriage, right? These are, these are beautiful individuals who are contributing to the narrative of family. But to not look at economic reasons that are pulling families apart, prejudice and biases and systemic issues that, that place a strain upon the family structure. Like we're missing the real culprit here right. because we're so interested in making this one person, the LGBTQ person, the guilty party. Right. And we miss what could be an endeavor to really find true justice. Right. And this goes for like any situation, you know, bring in the topic of pro-life, pro-choice. You know, right. it's like I was in a conference talking about weight and how your weight is not just determined by what you eat and how much exercise your weight can be determined by factors that feel so unrelated, but yet have such a crucial impact, like your home. Mm. You know, mental wellness has right. such a huge impact on your weight. Like, if you feel a certain kind of way, mm. then you might predispose to unhealthier habits. Or even if you're in flight or fright mode all the time, your right. like adrenaline is up, the cortisol is up, and that contributes to a lot of like excess weight and that's totally hormonal yes and i think the thing that we often ignore like one thing i'm talking about right now at the hospital it's like adding insult to injury to tell nurses to do self-care mm. when the system itself is not carving out opportunities that are actually accessible accessible to nurses right so it's it's yes holistic care is about caring for the families like not just the patient and that healthcare workers have an impact on the family and the patient. But it's like, why are we not talking about systemic issues? We make people and actions scapegoats for a larger problem. Sure. And just to touch back on what you had to say regarding like reproductive health care, we make a woman's choice about her moral failings rather than a systemic problem. Like, how many people want to bring kids in the world when they're not financially well off? A lot of people that I know who have had abortions had them because they were too young, they were not financially stable, they didn't even have their education yet, and on top of that, they didn't have any social supports, right? Yeah. So people are making decisions based off of 
a lot larger factors that once you start addressing some of these factors, there still might be millionaires who don't want kids and that's fine. But like there are other factors that it's not just about, oh, this woman is a bad person. Whatever this person decides, she's not a bad person. And on top of that, there are bigger factors that if you were so concerned as you feign yourself to be, you'll be looking at larger issues than just making this an individual problem. Yeah. And like, you know, in the healthcare world, you honor the guardian's role by making them a part of the decision-making of what determines a quality of life. And to think that physical ailments or disabilities are the only things that limit quality of life is just excluding, again, all the larger other systems that impact a person's well-being. And anyway, so just to go back to the cognitive distortions, you know, other, other forms are like disqualifying the positive, jumping to conclusions, magnification or minimization, either catastrophizing or dismissing something, emotionally reasoning through things, like this is an example. I feel embarrassed, so I must be an idiot. And right. it's like, no, I feel embarrassed. <laughs> You're not an idiot. Yes. <laughs> I just feel embarrassed right now. Yep. Exactly. Using critical words like should, must, or ought can make us feel guilty or like we have already failed. Labeling, assigning labels to ourselves or to other people, calling them stupid or losers or useless or idiots or uh, amoral (laughs) or whatever you attach to LGBTQ people Um, because then labeling them dehumanizes, right? So if you're sitting here and you're wondering, well, what am I left to think with? If these are patterns that are very familiar to you, then it's a real indicator of just the kinds of cognitive distortions that have led your way of reasoning through difficult problems, analyzing people and situations. And I think it was a huge growing tool for me Mm -hmm. um, in learning to see that, wait a second, I am filtering life through these cognitive distortions and making decisions about myself, about my God, about my relationship to my religion and my community based on cognitive distortion. So if I free myself of that, what does that actually land me with? I've discovered a more compassionate and empathetic approach without feeling like I'm compromising my sense of truth. Like, It's so interesting. So I just had this, um, did this panel with Spectrum with different leaders from all over the world. And something that they've talked about when it comes to this kind of top-down approach in administration that happens is that There are a lot of people who are not happy with the kind of colonial, Americanized export of Adventism into other countries, and that people in other countries do not feel heard when they are talking about cultural contextualization, where they are talking about kind of de-anglicizing the Adventist message, creating new normals where they're not evangelizing for white Jesus, right? Like all of these things that are kind of a denial of their own self-identities, that the church is not taking very well to that type of feedback. And I think, you know, LGBTQ is one monster that the church has created, but there are many voices that are being neglected because there's not this reciprocal feedback of, of removing the labels, right? And actually 
using um, the type of reasoning that you're talking about to deal with issues. There's too much distortion. Uh, there's too much fear. There's too much willingness to call something idol worship, right? If we see questions as a threat and our defense mechanisms kick in, then we're interacting with somebody's defenses where your amygdala gets activated, right? Where your flight, fight, or freeze response kicks in. And it's really hard to engage on an intellectual, reasonable, theological level when you're also navigating all these emotional bullets coming your way. And it's like you spend a lot of time trying to disarm um, rather than actually engaging the subject. Yeah. What does it look like to have an ethical approach to these matters with a real consideration for the people who are being impacted by them? And I think that that approach, not just to LGBTQ matters, but to other larger issues, has helped me gain a different perspective. So I feel encouraged that if I've grown in other places, that there's an opportunity for me to grow here. And and I wonder why anybody would exclude themselves from those opportunities. I feel like the administrators are very siloed in that the manner in which they are operating and the freeness which they experience in exercising their bigotry is not something that would be tolerated in the real world. Like they are going to cripple themselves from, God forbid, ever having to get a real job, right? That they are lifelong committing themselves to only being able to be fit to be in this position because outside of that context, they are not fit to lead in any other company uh, because those types of policies and thinking would land that company with a lawsuit. You're a professional administrator when you rely on this culture in order to be able to thrive and stay in power. Thank you all for listening this week. Imago Gay is a podcast where we explore queer questions and a colorful God. In addition to curious conversations, I am so grateful for all of you who have reached out and have been sharing your personal stories, tragedies, and triumphs within the queer community of faith. If you are enjoying this content, please be sure to rate the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcast and share this episode with a friend. If you want to follow our guest today, spiritual care provider Roxanne, <clears throat> co-host, you could do so on Instagram at Roxanne Marie. If you'd like to reach me, you can write me at Kendra Arsenault with an X on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow our sponsors, Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship, and be sure to sign up for their newsletters where you will get the latest updates on queer news and happenings. This episode was created by yours truly and sponsored by Spectrum Magazine and SDA Kinship International. (laughs) 